Welcome online or uh, live here in the auditorium. It's so good to see you. We, uh, uh, this weather has been a little bit unusual even uh, for, for our area, for all over. Uh, it's, been, it's been a little bit uh, different. And so I'm glad that you could get out this morning and get here. And uh, some people still may not be able to get out. Uh, we were gone uh, a little bit over the end of the week. And uh, it snowed while we were gone and then froze over. And, and my car was outside. So when I went out, I saw it was covered, and I went to wipe the snow, and it wasn't snow. It was just, it was like a shell of ice with ice cream in the middle, and it took a little while to get it all freed up, and uh, so I'm glad I could do that and get here today. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, topical messages, some of it due to the weather, just as you go through a Bible book, you kind of want to have some consistency with people being able to attend, and it's been a little bit difficult, so uh, I just haven't gotten started in a new uh, a Bible book yet, and uh, but today is Valentine's Day, and uh, I, I've read a little bit about Valentine uh, this week. Uh, but my wife's maiden name is Valentine, which I've told y'all, and uh, so it's a big deal at our house. And we we uh, try to stay reading a book or a study about marriage, and so we picked this book up the other day on sale. It's called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, same guy that wrote the book Cherish. Very good book. This one happens to have the devotions as well as the book. So uh, today's sermon, I'm basing on uh, some of the things that he says in there uh, and trusting that he based them on the Bible, which we see. And uh, I bring, of course, some of my own experience and thoughts to this. But I don't like to, all preachers are plagiarists. Let me just tell you that. We're all thieves. We steal from everybody else, all right? That's how it works. Uh, Solomon says, nothing new under the sun. Uh, one time a young student went to Spurgeon and said, I'm going to be original or I'll be nothing. He said, soon you'll be both. Uh, because uh, there's no originality uh, uh, in the pulpit. Everything came from God and returns to him. So uh, we, we all are stealing from the scriptures to see what God has to say to us. So I'm glad you're here. It's also uh, my, my oldest grandson's birthday today. He was born on Valentine's Day, so that's kind of encouraging. That's why we were out of town this weekend, so we could... Uh, see him during that time. But uh, today I want to talk a little bit about God-centered relationships. God-centered relationships. Now, in case you don't know it, Valentine's Day is also known as SAD Day, which stands for Single Awareness Day, okay? Um, so, uh, so some people are sad because they don't have a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a mate. But trust me, uh, y'all, uh, you'll hear in the message, uh, God is enough for you and uh, until he chooses otherwise. But, uh, but I do want to talk about God-centered relationships because it's not just about husbands and wives. In all of our human relationships, the things I'm going to talk about come into play. They come to, to come to help us in all of our relationships. And so this is what I want you to take home uh, with you today. When you define your relationship by what it is not rather than by what it is, it's time to refocus. Uh, so many times in, 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 in our lives, God had to make a, a, one a part of the Ten Commandments about this. Thou shalt not covet. covet. Thou shalt not, uh, you know, envy or covet. You, 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 he says, don't covet what your neighbor has, his possessions, his slaves, his animals, his, his wife uh, or husband, as it might be. Uh, it, it's a sin for us to covet. And, and so many times in our relationships... We get focused on what is not there rather than on what is there. And God does call us to, to of course, be a, in a good relationship or to make it as good as we can. 
But when we focus on what is lacking, we fail to appreciate what is there that is so good. So I want you to kind of get that sense today as we talk. I'll, I'll give an illustration later that, that uh, Gary uh, gives in that book, Gary Thomas. I don't know him personally. I don't know why I'm calling him Gary. If I've met him, I'd say Mr. Thomas. But, um, but, but a good illustration that he uses there. And so in our relationships, we need to focus on what God has given us and then make that the best we can make that. And so I want to read uh, uh, just two verses, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. I'm going to just cover three different scriptures today. And, and listen to what the Bible says here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Listen to what he's saying, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In, in these verses, we come to a better understanding of what love really is. So the first point I want to make today is that we got to be centered on the right person. One of the problems with, in relationships is we're centered on the wrong person. Husbands can be centered on their wives. Wives can be centered on their husbands. Let's say boyfriend, girlfriend, you're centered on each other. That is the wrong person to be paying attention to. All relationships have to have God as their center. That will not work. Why? Because we live with, a, 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 well, we have a fallen nature at birth. But even those of us who are Christians, sin still dwells with us. We can get envious we can covet we can want our needs met and not care about the other person's needs as i start today let me give you a really good definition of love um, if i'm here for 50 years uh, which i'll be dead in 50 years so don't panic but uh, i'll still be saying let me give you a good definition of love because this is the greatest definition i ever heard about love and then love is self-denial in order that i may give myself to the one loved for their sake, seeking nothing in return. That's an outline of John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave himself. He denied himself to give himself. For our sake, that all who believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Seeking nothing in return, except our very lives. We give him that. But he gives us something we couldn't have gotten for ourselves. Well, in our human relationships, and specifically in marriage, uh, and especially in marriage, it's not necessarily true of a friendship, uh, of a work relationship, a, a, a family relationship. But in the marriage, there is a covenant relationship. And God calls us as married people to be in a covenant relationship. Now, the difference between a covenant and a contract is a contract always has an escape clause. There's something in every contract ever written that says, if this requirement is not met, you don't have to, you're no longer bound. Both parties are no longer bound by the contract. A covenant is made between two people and if one person fails to keep the covenant the other person is obligated to still keep the covenant i hope you understand that if you were with uh if you watched last week i, I was preaching to an empty room thank y'all for being here i can preach to an empty room but it's not as much fun poor poor uh, austin uh, and andy they were the only other guys here last sunday and uh, they had to get the whole load you know um there was a bad storm way back in the day. Nobody could get out. The preacher got there, and the guy that opened up the doors of the church, he was there, and they were the only two. And he said, well, it's just me and you. What do you think? He said, well, we're here. Might as well have the service. So the preacher preached the sermon. At the end, he said, what would you think of it? He said, well, sir, I have cows, and, and if, if only one cow shows up, I feed him. But I don't give him all the hay, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> 
So poor Andy and, and Austin, they had to get the whole load of food last week. But anyway, uh, but in a covenant, if one person breaks it, the other person is not allowed to break that covenant. And so God has made covenant with us so that even though we will sin and turn our back on God, he never breaks the covenant. He stays with us. But marriage is meant to be a covenant relationship. And, and so Paul, of course, divorce happens, separations have things happen. And so Paul says, whatever state Christ finds, you stay there. Where you are now is where you ought to be and you ought to stay there. And, and, and make that a God-centered relationship. If God's not at the center, we will break covenant with the other person. And we'll break covenant anyway because, again, we mess up. But God is greater than that. God can, God can heal us from those kinds of things. This is all found, or, or I'm basing this on this scripture. I didn't read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Listen. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying that we ought to get rid of the sin in our, our life, cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, and bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. We ought to have a reverence for God in our relationship. I, I, I counsel uh, young couples that want to get married. Uh, I won't do your wedding unless we talk some. And, uh, and I, I, one of my favorite things to ask is, why do you want to marry them? Now, I always ask the guy first. I tell the lady, don't talk, because she's ready to answer. And if you let her answer first, he'll go, what she said, okay? That's just how this thing works, all right? Women are quick and ready to give an answer. Guys are like, oh, don't talk. Uh, you know, we hate to explore uh, certain things. So, so I'll, I'll ask the guy first, man, tell me why you want to marry. Well, she's pretty, you know. She said yes, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, whatever reason, and uh, I'm just making fun of us guys. And you'll ask the girl, and she'll say, oh, he completes me. So wonderful. We're so compatible. We got so much in common. Those are dumb answers. And I'll look at them and say, that is the worst answer I've ever heard. And now I hear it every time, but it's still the worst answer I've ever heard. They go, what do you mean? I, because the only reason for you to get married is the two of you can honor God better together than you could have apart. We have this idea, romantic love, the idea of just in general romantic love really didn't start till the 1800s. I mean, it was there. We fell in love. We loved someone. We, you know, all that. But, but now it's like if, if you get your idea of love from modern media, from TVs and movies and books and that kind of stuff, you'll never find the truth anywhere in that stuff. You say, oh, well, I got to follow my heart. Well, Following your heart will lead you to, to take your best friend's wife and then kill your best friend like David did. That's what your heart will do. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. You can't even know it. You can't even know your heart. If you follow your heart, it'll lead you straight to sin. You've got to follow the will of God and let your heart follow the will of God. You don't make decisions based on your feelings. You make decisions based on the word of God. And so love is a command Love is, is, is told, husbands, love your wives. Why? Because many times those wives are picked out for them in the New Testament. And so Paul comes along and says, listen, your daddy may have picked her and you may not like her, but you got to love her. On the other end of that spectrum of counseling, I also counsel 
couples that are struggling and and having trouble staying married. And I, I get that, man. We all have struggles. Wife and my wife and I read books about this stuff all the time. Got to help. And 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 I'll be talking to them about, well, I don't love her anymore. Well, you're commanded to love her. I don't care. I've fallen out of love with her. Well, that was a problem. You fell in love, and so you can fall out if you fell in. You didn't make a good choice there, but uh, instead of instead of choosing by the will of God, you did that. I say, well, the Bible commands you to, to love her. Well, I don't love her anymore. Well, you got to love her because it says love your neighbor. And I mean, obviously, you live in there. She's your neighbor. I don't care. I, I, I don't love her. I hate her. And what do you mean you hate her? Well, we're just fighting so much. We've become enemies. Well, the Bible says love your enemy. <laughs> you see, we can't get out of it. We are commanded to love. And when you make that contract, it is a decision because love is not a feeling. It is self-denial. In order to give myself to the one love for their sake, seeking nothing in return. And I will tell you by the end of this, and I'm going to tell you right now, you can't do that. It is impossible for a human being to achieve that. You've got to have help the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But we start on a wrong, a wrong footing. And, and, and whether it's just a friend or whether it's, it's a, a dating relationship headed to marriage, it's got to be God-centered. I, I want to ask a simple question here. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. All right, now, a lot of people raise their hand. I'm going to ask this question, and there's always one or two or maybe some more. It depends. I get some yeses, but, my, but very honestly, how many of you on the very first date with your husband or wife, you knew y'all were going to get married? One, two. I saw two hands. Three, four, over there. What? Y'all were chosen, weren't you? Never mind. Um, so, so that first service had one. This service had four. So I say to young people who are single, be careful who you go out on a date with. I don't think dating is a sport. It's not something you do just to have fun. It is headed somewhere. So therefore, before you have that first date, you better... Do some reconnaissance and know who it is that's asking you or who you're asking. And if you're a girl, tell your daddy, any guy that wants to ask me out, I'm going to send him to you. Because I want time to tell you I don't want to go out with him or I do want to go out with him. Okay? And now the pressure's off the girl and it's on the daddy. All right? And, and we, ought, we ought to know that because we don't know where that's headed. You see, my concept is this, that dating is to get to know somebody intellectually. In other words, you get to know how they think, where they're coming from, what's happening, and you, and you can talk about that. Now, I know young people don't call it dating. This is the talking stage for, for young people, okay? If you're talking with somebody, that's to get to know them mentally. My very first date I ever went on with my wife, I looked at her and I said, listen, if you and I are going to keep going out, you can date anybody you want to. You don't have to stay exclusive. I don't think dating ought to be exclusive. You, you can date anybody you want. Because if I'm not man enough to put a ring on your hand, I'm not man enough to tell you who you can see and not see. Because this is for us to become friends, get to know each other. I believe engagements to get to begin to know each other spiritually, not fully, but a lot more spiritually. Marriage is only one thing left. You get it. And we got to keep those things in order. Again, this will come into play even more in the second point. But, but here's what I want you to understand. I'm really talking about God-centered relationships. Whether you believe in that method of what I just described or not, you may or you may not, that's fine. But it better be God-centered. So many people, especially single people wanting love, 
uh, in their life, seeking a mate, want somebody that they can feel contentment and completeness and happiness with. I don't have any good news for you. Men marry women expecting them never to change, and women marry men expecting to change them. And both people are sorely disappointed. I tell my wife all the time, you do not have to nag me. I heard you the first time you said it six months ago, all right? I just, we're just different creatures. Men and women are, we're, 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 we're different. And we don't understand it takes the grace of God to be married and to stay married. It takes, it takes, I call it work. It sounds like it's labor. It's not. There, of course, there's a feeling of love. Of course, there's joy. Of course, there's uh, intimacy and acquaintance and, 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 and companionship. All those things are great. But, it, but if you start on the wrong basis, if that's the basis, then you have a very shallow and fragile basis. It's got to be God-centered. And if God's not enough for you, what do you have to give someone else? Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you had asked me, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me and I would have given you water that would come, you would never thirst again and water would come flowing out of you like, like living water. God wants to put himself in us so he gushes out of us. When you don't make God the sinner, that doesn't happen. And if that's not happening in you, and you marry somebody else who is not God's sinner. Listen, if you're, if you're dating and your boyfriend or girlfriend is not God-centered, drop them like they're on fire, man. Just stop that because you're headed to heartbreak. I'm just telling you you are because it's hard enough when you're sinner. Now, listen, I know there's a thousand. You say, yeah, but... I, you know, we weren't saying, I get that. God is gracious. He fixes some of those. But I'm talking to people, you still got a choice you can make in front of you. Be careful uh, what you do and, and, and let God be that, that center. You know what happens when God is not the center? Because God's got to put something in you to give to someone else. If you're going to deny yourself to give, if you don't have God at your center, you're two ticks without a dog. You're not going to last very long. And both of you are going to die. And so you've got to receive from God what you need in order to have something to give to your mate or spouse. But that also applies to your friend. Don't, you know, if you're hanging out with somebody that's always wanting you to go do something wrong, maybe you ought to push away a little bit and say, listen, I'm a Christian and being a witness in that relationship and, and make God the center of your life so you can share Christ. If a husband, a wife, a friend, a, a, a workmate, Boss, whatever, sisters, brothers, cousins. If God's the center of your life, you're going to want to share God with all of those folks and make that relationship what it ought to be. So center on the right person if you want a, a, a God-centered relationship. And then secondly, <clears throat> pray for the right thing. That, that comes back to Ephesians. He talks about being holy and completing holiness. You ought to be praying that God will make you holy. When, when two people get married... That relationship kind of morphs. This is the example Gary Thomas gives because he does marriage seminars all the time, all over the country and the world, really. And so he says one of the things he likes to do, especially if he doesn't feel like talking, he'll find an engaged couple, and, you know, like he's having to eat with people, and he'll look at the newly married or the almost to be married, and he'll ask the girl, tell me about your boyfriend or your husband as a newlywed. said, now I can just eat my meal in peace because she's going to talk for an hour. You know, she's always so wonderful. He does this and he does that and he's, he's this and he's the other thing. 
He said, but what he found out to be true is that he could talk to somebody who'd been married 20 years and say, tell me about your husband. Well, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. He wouldn't know how to spell spiritual leadership with a dictionary. What changes those relationships? Here's the answer. Marriage. Do y'all know marriage is the number one leading cause of divorce? <laughs> Can't get divorced, you're not married, right? We get familiar with each other. We forget that God is to be the center even after we're married. And we begin to go our own way. Isaiah says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord's laid on him the iniquity of us all. But I want to take out a, the part of the verse that says, we've each one gone our own way. When I got to have my way, the reason I want my way is because I'm right. Obviously, you're wrong because you don't do it like me. If you did it like me, you'd be right. You know, I don't, I'm not bossy. I just know what you ought to be doing, right? That's how all of us think. That's how all of us feel. And, and what we have to do is back up and say, God called me to marry somebody that's different than me. Thank God. We live in a culture where they don't want anybody to be different. You know, just because you're different doesn't mean you're unequal. It means you're different. Equality doesn't mean everybody's the same. If we're all the same, most of us would be redundant and unnecessary. An elephant and an eagle are not unequal because an eagle can't stomp through the jungle and an elephant can't fly. Does that mean they're not equal? No, they are different. They got assigned ways of operating. So you're marrying somebody who's different than you. Doesn't mean y'all are unequal. It means you're different. And you got to celebrate those differences. And you got to love them anyway. And so many times we begin to see the flaws of the other person. And what happens when we argue and, and get into that situation is we can't see past the flaws. We're focused on the wrong thing. Number one, God's not the center. But number two, I'm thinking a lot about myself. I'll come back to that in a minute. You ought to pray to love your spouse. It's, you are not capable. The wisest and most godly man I ever met in my life. I, and, and when I say most godly, I, I, I mean that. But there are other men that I would say were very, very godly as well. But, but he said you ought to pray God delivers you from numbness. Because men are just numb to other people's emotions and feelings and what they need. And we've got to get before God and say, God, may I know you. And, and know God and then ask him to deliver us from, from the, the, the sin that causes us to be so thoughtless and careless in our relationship. And ask God to show you a way to love your spouse in a way they've never been loved before. Now, that, that, that's not a Hallmark movie. You know, it's not a big deal. It may be to write them a note. It may be to send them a flower. It may be to let them know you're thinking about them when, when they think you're very, very busy and you, they know that you're still, that, that, that person's still in your mind. That can go both ways, by the way. I'm not just talking to men. I'm talking to men and women here. And, and, and all of us ought to pray to God, God, how can I love my mate today in a way that they know I love them, in a way they've never been loved before? You say, can God give me 365 different ways to do that? Sure. He can give you a billion ways to do that. God's got a lot more imagination than you or me. I mean, he made a platypus after all. Come on. God can do a lot of stuff. And so how do, you, how do you get that? You ask him. He said, ask me. If you need wisdom, ask me. I'll give it to you. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep seeking God, and God will help you with your mate. And then keep the right focus. In, in, in the book of Luke, in chapter 6, 
verses 41 and 42. You're familiar with this passage, but let me read it for you. It says here, Why do you seek the speck or see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is saying, here's this guy, and he looks over at his friend, and his friend's got a little thing in his eye, and he goes, dude, you got a thing in, his, in your eye, but the whole time you got this big log sticking out of your eye, and you're knocking people over with it. He, he's saying, man, don't you see the log in your own eye? You see, if you're in a fighting place in your marriage, and you think your mate is the worst sinner, Jesus is talking to you. You're the worst sinner. It doesn't matter what they do. You are called by God to love them and to treat them with holiness and respect. See, I am married to a literal princess. She is the daughter of a king. And he happens to be the king of kings. And therefore, I've got to treat her that way. And she's got to treat me like a prince. (laughs) But she does a better job of that than I do. But listen... We have to, we, we, we weren't called to judge and fight our spouse. We were called to love them. And it's, it, it's a choice. Like I said, in, in these days of the Bible, many of those, most of those marriages, if not all of them, were set up by their parents. Why did Paul have to tell people, love your husband, love your wife? Because number one, we, our human emotions goes sideways and We don't feel that love, so we think we don't love them. And secondly, love is an action. It's a verb. It is not a a, a condition. It's not a noun. It's not, oh, I feel love or I'm in love. No, I choose to love. Because I can promise you, you're going to wake up some days and not feel saved. You're going to wake up some days and not feel loving. But you have to love anyway. And what you'll find is when you're obedient to God's word, as grace comes in, and he fills you with love, and he fills you with ability, he fills you with what you need. You've got to love them. We're called to encourage them. We ought to be our, our spouse or our friend or whatever it is. Not everybody's married, so you don't marry people. You know, in all of our relationships, you ought to encourage your friends and, 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 and your family and those you work with. Like, you can do it. You can make it. Oh, you're doing a great job. It is in that encouragement people grow, and you ought to be encouraging your mate. What should you be encouraging them mostly to do is to seek God. And how can you tell somebody else to seek God when you're not seeking God? We're called to honor and respect people. That's what we ought to be doing. And so we got to keep the right focus that, wait a minute, it's me. I'm the one that needs salvation. Paul said it's a worthy saying and and, and, uh, uh, and deserving of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Now, the guy who wrote one-third of the New Testament said, I'm the chief of sinners. Wow. What does Stuart think about himself? And that's, that's just Paul. I, I, I've been reading some other biographies this past week, very short biographies. And one of the quotes I, w- I read about St. Patrick, and his quote is, My name is Patrick. I am a simple man. I am a sinner. And yet God used him to shake an entire nation for Christ. Listen, we got to get past thinking we are, we are God's example A of what everybody ought to be. And we got to start being humble. The Bible says to humble yourself. 
We don't ask God to humble us. He just says, get off your high horse, man. Quit thinking so much of yourself. Think about Christ. Because when you compare yourself to others, sure, you're going to be better than some people. And, and you'll be too encouraged. And you'll be, you'll be worse than some people. You'll be too discouraged. Compare yourself to Christ because you'll see yourself clearly. And you'll thank God you aren't what you were. And you'll realize you're not what you're going to be. And you'll stay on that path with Christ. And so you ought to do that. So what would happen if we all did this? What would it look like if every relationship in our life was centered on God? If, if all of our friendships and all our work relationships, when, when, when somebody started doing something they shouldn't do and we just brought up Jesus. You know, that's a powerful name. I've just seen it, the name of Jesus, like the whole atmosphere change. I've seen, I've seen people about to do one thing and they would just call Jesus into the situation. The whole situation would go different. It, 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 it's unbelievable to us. What would it be if, if we started getting together with our friends and say, How, what's going on with you and the Lord? How's the Lord, what, what, what's the Lord doing in your life? And we just started bringing all of our relationships centered on Christ. Man, that'd be a huge difference, especially in our marriage. Instead of talking about what we did or didn't do or did or didn't say, we started talking about Jesus. If we humbled ourselves and said, man, God showed me I'm a sinner and I got no right. You know, God is your judge. God is my judge. And not that we can't help somebody who needs some help understanding God's word and correction. Of course, God, don't take that don't judge as don't ever judge. If you didn't judge your kids, they'd tear down your house. You got to have some judgment and go, you know what? The Bible says you shouldn't be doing that. Let me pray with you. Let me help you. Let me encourage you that you can do right. So let's make God the center of our relationship. Secondly, why don't you commit to pray daily for all those relationships in your life, especially those ones that happen every day. Just asking God, help me to end this relationship to be like Christ in that relationship. Read, the, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See how Jesus interacted with people. Man, he met with some, some sinners that are sinners worse than us. And all we find there is compassion and help from him for them and as they came to know him. And got changed. And if you're not married, don't get in a relationship except with a God-centered person. I'm just telling you, make Christ the beginning of every relationship. And if that person, I had a, I had a friend that, that uh, he became a Christian and he started coming to the church. This was many years ago. That, by the way, a guy's a pastor today. And, and uh, there was a, a girl that came to our church sometimes. Her parents were in the church. And man, she just thought this guy is it for her. And she was chasing him, basically, is how we'd say it. And so one day she said to him, and he, he's not giving her much time, you know, he'd listen to her, he's a nice guy. But, and she said, I would follow you anywhere. He said, you won't even follow me to church. Why would I think you'd follow me anywhere? Because he wanted to do the will of God. He wasn't looking for a relationship except with God. And he didn't marry her. He, didn't, he never started a relationship with her. And we ought to understand that concept. And if you're single especially, if you're hoping to get married, God knows where you live. Get to know God and he'll bring, be the right person and God will bring the right person for you in his time. But if you're not the right person when you meet them, you're going to be two ticks without a dog. And you've got to have something to give. And you only get something to give by coming to Christ and letting him fill your well. And I just thank God that when he finds us, he redeems us, and he makes all our relationships great for him. 
I get so encouraged by that. I've seen all kinds of brokenness and tragedy in life. Not personally, but I've seen it around me, I mean. And I've seen God redeem some of the worst things and make something so beautiful. God delights in taking broken things and making them right. So if you're here today and you feel broken, don't despair. God wants to do miracles in your life. I I truly, truly believe that. I wouldn't be up here preaching if I didn't believe the gospel was true. And the gospel says, what I was, I ain't no more. And what I am, I never was before. And, And that's true every day. So let's rejoice every day that his mercies are new. Father, in Jesus' name, as we step into your presence by the name of Jesus, Lord, we understand that the worst sinner is, is inside my skin. And Lord, that, that I have to have that attitude because I have to deal with people who are also sinners and they need to know that, that, uh, that there's a Savior who can save them. And if I become the judge, I will judge wrongly because I don't know all the things that you know. I don't understand all the things you understand. 